Jesus. Amen. Amen. Kids, 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 kids. See, look, it only took four years for me to remember that. <laughs> I've got, I got about three things going on in my head this morning about Bible sermon series, not just the other stuff going on, but Bible sermon series. So I'm prepping for a series on the Gospel of John. And then I went and took a class on Galatians, which rocked my world of understanding. And somebody said, well, you should teach on Galatians. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not ready. I haven't, even, um, I haven't even gotten to a spot where I understand all the implications from spending a week with uh, the class that I had on it. And today's the end of the King David series. Now, I have some questions for you. This is, this is King David dies in the story. And he's a very mythic, sort of bigger-than-life, sort of John Henry sort of person, in our, if I were to use American lingo. But really, as I re- when I'm going to read the text today, and I will read the text, he really dies in the midst of a family squabble. Have any of you ever um, had a family member die and around the family member came a whole bunch of squabbles and fights and the world was changed and how you looked at people was changed because of the way they reacted? Or perhaps, yeah, I, I see some tentative hands there. We've all had that in our, I've got an impending one in my family. It's not impending immediately, but I can see it coming. So um, my oldest brother has been um, estranged from our family since I was 12, but lives in the town where everybody else lives. And my dad has spent a lot of time coming in. Well, I was, you know, my parents are 86. And I'm wondering how my family will react to my oldest brother should he come and try to pretend that everything's normal or maybe not pretend or not come or what are the eventualities of that relationship? Can you see what I'm talking about? There's some implications to having been in a fight. So, I mean, when I was 12, that's 44 years of fighting. And sometimes it's not even 44 years of overt fighting that go on. Sometimes it's family members that want this piece, this item from a family member and another, item, another person has their eyes on that one and, and then the fighting ensues over a dresser, a rocking chair. <laughs> so I'm hearing items actually from this. I went to my dad and I was really looking forward to building... Some of, some of you know that I just uh, refinished a table for my daughter's anniversary, and my dad and I had committed to build matching chairs for that table, and he was going to turn them all on the lathe. And, and I spent Thursday last week at dinner with them, and he said, I need to talk to you in the woodshed. That's where he works. And I got out there, and he goes, it's too much. I can't do it anymore. And in my mind, I was... I frankly don't care about the chairs. I just wanted to do another wood project with my dad. 
but it didn't go that far. It wasn't like, that he's going, I, it's too much, I can't do it. He goes, maybe you should have the lathe. And I shouldn't have it. And so we go in these transition moments. And How are you in these transition moments in these little funerals, these little memorial services that go on in life? Does that feel like a little memorial service for me that I'm talking about with my dad? I Look, I learned every single thing I know about home stuff, not from an art degree, but side by side with him in a wood shop. And I'm kind of handy. I learned a lot. <laughs> I think I could say that. How, 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 how do you want to be in those moments of your life? Have you decided how you want to be? I, I was asked recently how I dealt with this sort of family situation as an example, and my response was, well, I know how I want to do it, but I don't find myself always making it to that spot. Do you? What about, what about this one? A story about uh, an aunt who died and had a will that gave half of everything away even though the uncle was still alive. And they had to sell everything off and split it up because they had a blended family and she had kids of her own. And she, she gave half of everything she had, which was half of everything everybody had, to her kids before, before her husband died. Do you know how you want to be? Do you know how you will be in the midst of one of those things? I know, I know as I look around the room, some of you are in the same spot I am or, or nearing that spot, and you can see things coming. Some of you have been there. This is the way it is in family. So tell me, how do you want to be in those situations? Just an idea. This is in the best case scenario. How would you like it to go? Calm and respectful. Is that everybody in the room? Everybody wants calm and respectful in the thing? Yeah. How do you make that happen ahead of time? Put it in writing. Um, will that always work, though? Not always. What's another way other than before you... You put it in writing. That's a good idea. What else do you do? <laughs> Give it away so there's nothing to fight over. <laughs> um, but if you put it in writing, you can spend some time talking about why you've done what you've done. So that then the, the right, so there's some, some time in there. Um, I know a gentleman whose mother was, was dying and he came to me for help for the preparation and, and I gave him this little book and I said, here's the funeral, here's my funeral wishes. Can you go through this and do this now? Because when she dies, it's going to be much harder to make some of these decisions in the stress of the moment. And he did it because he trusted me, but he came back later and said, I was so mad at you. I was so mad at you. You made me go through that book before my mother died. And I had to think about her death and think through the whole thing. You know what he said later? It was so good to not make those decisions in, in, in that spot. 
But while he was doing it, he was so mad at me for doing it. Let's read some scriptures so you can kind of see why I'm coming to this spot and talking about how do you want it to go. This is from 1 Kings 1. And I'm reading out of the New Living. And I'll just read it the way it is, okay, so you can, ha- you can have it. King David was now very old, and no matter how many blankets covered him, he could not keep warm. Sort of like in the sanctuary right now. So his advisors told him, let us find a young virgin to wait upon you and look after you, my Lord. She will lie in your arms and keep you warm. And, and I need to make sure you know that Abishag, who they find to do this, what they were really hoping to do was invigorate the king so that he would be alive and you know, his circulation would get going because a healthy king is good. You, if you hear stories about Henry VIII, dying and near the end of his thing in a quest for a, a, a son. They were doing things like this because his, his legs, the neuropathy in his legs was getting so bad that right, he was losing his vigor. How do you reinvigorate the king? And so they searched throughout the land of Israel for a beautiful girl and they found Abishag from Shunem and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful and she looked after the king and took care of him but the king had no sexual relations with her. About that time, David's son, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggath, began boasting, I'll make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now, this sort of sounds familiar. If you remember the Absalom section of the story, he found a way to make himself king. You should hear the two sons from the prodigal in this with Absalom and Adonijah. Absalom wants his dad dead before he gets there and takes over, right? That's the younger son. Adonijah is the son that's kind of there in the shadows, kind of waiting in the background. I want everything he's got and I got to find a way to get it. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was also very handsome. Adonijah took Joab, that was the, and Abiathar, the priest, into his confidence, and they agreed to help him become king. But Zadok, the high priest, Benaiah, son of Jehoda, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei. Shimei is interesting in here because I don't know if you... I know all these weird names and everything in the David story, but when Absalom took over the kingdom, Shimei yelled, followed along yelling curses at David as he was leaving the country, and David forgave him, but later on in the story around David's death, he'll ask Solomon to kill him for him. It's like all that great mercy kind of went away at the end. Is that how you're going to be? Is that how we get at the end? Well, I, I was pretty benevolent when I was younger, but right now I'm not feeling that way. Adonijah went to the stone of Zoholath near the spring of Enrogel, where he sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fatted calves, and he invited all his brothers and all the sons of King David and all the royal officials. Well, not all the sons, because 
Solomon wasn't there. But he did not invite Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, or the king's bodyguard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan went to Bathsheba and said, Solomon's, this is Solomon's mother, and asked her, haven't you heard that Haggah's son Adonijah has made himself king and our Lord David doesn't even know about it? If you want to save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, follow this advice. Go at once to King David and say to him, my Lord, the king, didn't you make a vow to, and say to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and sit on the throne? See, he did write it down. He did that. And yet, right there is a contested will even before the death. And while you are talking to him, I will come in and confirm that you have said that Adonijah is king. So Bathsheba went to King David's bedroom. He's now very old, and Abishag was taking care of him. Do you notice that Adonijah doesn't really care whether his father is dead yet? And Bathsheba, who's really the wife of his heart at this point, isn't really involved in his life. This sort of sounds very modern, suddenly. And the priest, the priest in this case, or the prophet, is going around to, the, to, the, to Bathsheba and saying, hey, make sure you get all this stuff taken care of so you can be in charge and live. And instead of caring for David so much, my Lord... You made a vow before the Lord God when you said to me, your son Solomon will surely be the next king and will sit on my throne. But instead, Adonijah has made himself king, and my Lord the king does not even know about it. He has sacrificed many cattle, fatted calves, and sheep, and he has invited all the king's son to attend the celebration. And he also invited the priest and the commander of the army, but he did not invite your servant Solomon. And now, my lord, the king, all Israel is waiting for you to announce who will become the king after you. If you do not act, my son Solomon will not, and I will be treated as criminals as soon as my lord has died. And it goes on and on. This is a family squabble. This actually feels about fairly modern in, in a lot of the funerals that I've been a part of. Sometimes it's not just the family. It's not just Adonijah who, who was so anticipating getting something from his father that when it got close by, he started to say, I, I really want it now. Give me, right? So he also becomes the younger son at some point. If, if we don't have, if we don't take the time to form these deep, caring relationships and discuss this stuff and have the conversations and have the time. I'm not telling you that you will always have the time you want. I'm not telling you that I'm going to get the time with my dad to do one more wood project. I live four hours drive away. It's probably not going to work out for me. And I just had this one other thing I wanted to do. It's, it's okay I've had lots of projects with him. I learned lots. And the last couple projects were as equals and were more fun than anything else. But we've had the conversations. We know who each other are. Adonijah and David have not. So when we do this, who do we want to be? 
how do we want to be with our family so that all's well that ends well? David also is going to count on later in the story Solomon to take care of some of the details that he wanted taken care of. Like he's going to say, well, you know what's right, but you know, Shammai wasn't good to me, so handle that for me. That's another thing parents and kids kind of do with each other. Have you ever had your parent say, um, I'm going to live through you for a little bit, and I need you to... Do you understand what I'm talking about? My kid is so great at football. It's like I used to be. Their victories... Look, your, your child's victories... Are, are theirs and their struggles are theirs and your victories and struggles are yours and not your parents. Let me say that again. Your struggles and victories are yours and not your parents. Now your parents might have a place in those struggles and victories. They might have supported or might have caused and helped the stumbling and all that stuff. But at some spot in your life, you have to not count on your parents' faith or lack thereof to get you where you're going. You have to develop a faith of your own. And as parents, it's our job to also set our kids free to do some of that stuff within some safe boundaries early on. It doesn't sound like Adonijah, who'd never been told no. Hey, parents in the room, how does that work? It's a disaster. <laughs> and here it's going to be a disaster in this story too. I'm not going to, I mean, I could read you two chapters of Scripture and all this Solomon comes to Adonijah and Adonijah, you know, so David makes Solomon king, right? That's the story we know. And Adonijah hears the city celebrating the new king at his party for him to be the new king. rut <laughs> and everybody scatters from Adonijah, and he runs to the temple and holds the horns of the temple, right? He runs to the altar and throws himself on the altar, and, the, and, and Solomon says, go get him. And he goes, I'm not, leaving the, I'm not leaving here until you promise not to kill me. That's what Adonijah says to the servants. And, and Solomon's words are this. If you mean well and are a good person, we'll let you live. But if you do inappropriate things, you will have sealed your own fate. You know what his first request is? Abishag. Adonijah asks for Abishag to be his wife. And I don't know if you remember the Absalom story so much, but part of Absalom's rebellion was is to take David's wives that were left behind up on the roof, like the Bathsheba thing. Adonijah learned from the same place. And so, Solomon solves the problem. How will you solve the problems in your family? How will you solve the problems? How do you want to solve the problems? Do you have an idea? Like, I, I've got a problem. Who's got family problems that need to be dealt with? I already shared you one of mine, right? 
You got family problems? Look, the way to solve them is to not wait. Is to not wait until something happens and then there's no saying goodbye to somebody. The biblical story is, literally in forgiveness, is if you're coming to the altar and you've got something against somebody or somebody's got something against you, drop your stuff where it is and go solve it. But David didn't really do that very well. I mean, I've said throughout the story, David is this mythical hero of the Bible who's not actually a very nice guy. He's not a good dude, really, in a lot of ways. But every time his sin is pointed out and he has time to fix it, he fixes it. And that's why he's actually a hero of the Bible. He does his best to solve it. Is he broken and all that stuff? Do we see God at work in him? Do we see God redeeming people and saving the nation? Yes, we do that. But it's not because David is David. It's because David is willing to let God be God. How do you want it to go in your family? I know how I'd like it to go. What did I say? I know how I'd like to be. I'm afraid I'm not always that way. This is the call of our lives in Christ, literally. Is let's not make this kind of mess. Let's do what we can to solve it. Some of you I know are already doing all those things. I'm not laying a burden on you. But if you've got a struggle and God is saying, if you're shaking your fist at God and saying, why don't you do something? What was the first song? I did. I created you. I did something. If God is laying something on your heart to go and do the forgiveness just as God has forgiven you, Let's do that and not leave it till the end. And this is not the sermon I had planned. It's not what I've got written down here. But this is, it seems to be the moment of the day that as I read this story, what can we learn from the Bible today? Let's not do this. Some of our examples in the Bible are really good to not do. Just like Samson, don't do that. Don't put your finger there. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for your love, which overwhelms, floods through, soaks into, saturates every part of our being that we'll let it do it to. So we ask you to open our hearts, help us open our hearts so that we can be saturated with your love. In your precious name, amen.